Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the uh, sixth week? Yes, sixth week of the fall, summer 2017 anime season. I definitely have not been drinking a beer. Oh, darn. I am your host, Dustin. I am your host, Dustin. And with me today is Larry. Uh, I'll send you a beer. I'm, I've already, it's fine, I've already got a beer. Well, I'll send ben. you another one. You need to eat. <laughs> Yo. And Aaron, who uh, has forced my hand in bumping some of our reviews up so he can go watch a very important episode of Saturday Night Live. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, I guess, oh wait, hold on. You can find show notes for this episode at www.audioentropy.com and also projectharahi.net. And unlike the last episode, this time I will remember to first introduce the recording I did with Luke where we talked about Love Tyrant. So here it is. Hi, Luke. Hi, Dustin. So, I apologize. Mm. <laughs> Listen, this is what we're here for. Look, I know, I know, but even still, we um, mm. like. I'll grant you that this is not the worst anime I've ever seen. Maybe one day I will show you he can show. I'm not. Mm. I don't know. You are my friend. I'm not sure if I want to do that. I to mean, you. listen. But this st- this still wasn't a boy walking in on his new adoptive demon sister taking a dump at a mcdonald's okay yeah that is that is true still not quite testament of sister new devil yeah but you know all right so we are talking about love tyrant (laughs) we're talking about love tyrant and like this this show really I went through a roller coaster of emotions while I watched this show. Oh yeah, same, because th- same. Because like for the first five minutes, I'm going like, wait, is this wait act- is this actually good? Yeah, it's like is this actually going to be actually kind of okay? <laughs> like, yeah. Do we have another cell phone situation on our hands here? Right, right. Uh, uh yeah, because but it does something similar to Another World with my smarty pants. Uh, it, which is that it, like, just immediately smash cuts to a cold open where it's just, hey, if you don't kiss someone, you'll die. And then it, it's like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, it's, it, it, for a while, it's a very tongue-in-cheek show where it kind of acknowledges yeah. how ridiculous its premise is. And the, our main character with the blue hair just has, does not want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> Right, yeah. So backing up a little bit, the the protagonist, the brain, ah, blah. Dustin, this show has fried my brains. That's you. I don't. I don't blame you. There are two protagonists, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm, you have like I'm looking like, up like the you said, ANN page so I can remember their oh, names. Oh, the the names. Yes. Yeah, you have Milk Toast Anime Boy, uh, you know who's pretty bog standard. And then you have like I think yeah. her name is Guri. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, Guri. And the uh, blue blue haired guy is called Seiji Aino. Yes, and Guri has showed up at his front door in sort of a Grim Reaper looking outfit, explaining that, like I said, he has to kiss someone or he'll die. 
and well, no. he's not in he'll have to that? he'll have to kiss someone or she the angel will die well right that's what she eventually virgin, explains and he will be a virgin forever right that's what she eventually explains she has in her possession the kiss note oh, which right. is just which is just literally the death note I but did, for kisses i did really like the joke where and this is where i thought that this would actually be a pretty okay show was where he steals it from her and he's like oh god if this is the same as the thing is ripping off then i think i know what's about to happen right yeah (laughs) he's like very much like wait a second that's the death note what are you doing yeah um but she explains she demonstrates that if she writes down a ship like one person's name x another person's name they are fated to kiss each other within 24 hours. And eventually, she also explains they will eventually get married. Yeah. And she demonstrates this by uh, writing down the names of two, like, powerful members of the Japanese uh, parliament. Yeah. And then turning on the television where the entire parliament is in an uproar because these two old men are making out with each other on the floor. Yeah. Which, at this point, I'm like, okay, this is something. Yeah. You, you're going for it, and I respect that. Um, yeah, and she explains that she's just very into Yaoi. Yeah. So she's just all the time making boys kiss each other. Um, but she was trying to write down the name of two boys she wanted to see kiss, and, like, their names together accidentally made this guy's name. So since she wrote his name on accident, she tells him that she'll let him pick which boy he's going to kiss. But there's, like, this ridiculous, like, farce element to it where he thinks that he he needs to kiss her to fix this, so he does. And then it, oh, what a, what a wacky sexual comedy that kicks off, Dustin. Yeah, yeah. Because then, like... He he writes his name down, yeah, because like he kisses her, thinking it's gonna solve something, and right. then when they get, so then he goes to school because of course you know there he's a high schooler, and we have like the class idol named Akane Hiyama, this red hair, yes. like super pretty girl. Right, and she's, like, running track, and they make a very big point to have that kind of boing yeah. sound with her boobs. Yeah, and sort of, uh, this is the segment where it starts to go downhill, I think. It, yes, because he's had a crush on her all this time, and that's who he decides he's going to kiss. Uh, but then she finds out that he kissed this angel girl, and it turns out that she's Yandere, which you know because they keep calling her Yandere. Yeah, they are very explicit about like, oh, this is that character type where if she right. sees you with another girl, she will murder you and the girl. Yes, she pulls out two uh, like machetes. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to remember what the precise name of those. Yeah, because it's like a, a specific are. type of Japanese dagger, but yeah, I don't remember what they're called. It's like this curved, almost kind of wing-shaped dagger. Yeah, um, and, uh, they have to run away from her, ah, no, no, um, but then her name gets written in there, so they end up kissing, but then the angel girl decides she still wants to kiss the boy, so she writes her name in too, so now it's a three-way ship, and, oh boy, the antics, Dustin, the antics! Yeah, from there it just, 
essentially becomes a very repetitious show about like yes quote unquote like parodying tropes just by saying what the trope is exactly yes it feels like it wants to make fun of romance yeah. animes but doesn't actually have anything to say it just knows that they're cliches it, it, it is the epic movie of yes romance anime <laughs> oh you nail you hit the nail on the head so precisely <laughs> because <laughs> uh, then it turns into like well first of all because they're dating an angel now they're both immortal so she can stab her boyfriend as much as she wants to yeah, now over and over mm. again which he reacts yeah. to like with a like a lot more calmly than i would expect to someone for someone who's being repeatedly stabbed considering like those are right big, it's just a weird visual like, gag a those are very large daggers and b you know yes. he's still not and he has he even says himself he's not immune to pain right yeah it's it's you know it's played for laughs and yeah. it's it's hilarious dustin yeah definitely <laughs> um but then it turns into her little sister has had a crush on her all this time because we got to get that trope oh, going. god yeah so i remember posting in the discord yes that we have sorry not the discord the the slack channel we have for audio it's very entity. important to uh outline which social media platform this took place yeah because there are so many look at <laughs> so, you messaged me on peach yeah you know used used mammoth um so i i mess i said in like the slack channel like oh you know this is not great it's kind of taking a turn and then um, Eric, um, who is uh, the host of Inside the Master Studio and uh, now does editing for the for Teenager of the Attitude, uh, he replied, "Oh, uh, yeah, and like complete with incest or something like that." And I said, "Right." And I was like, "Oh no, it's not." It, thankfully, it hasn't uh, included that because um, I thought he was just making a joke about you know how all these anime, these bad anime, have some sort of incest theme. Yeah. What I didn't realize is that Eric had actually watched the first episode, and uh, I, they were saving all the incest for the second half. Yep. Where mm-hmm, it's revealed mm-hmm. that the uh, blonde-haired girl who's mad at Ino is mad at him not because not because she secretly has a crush on him, but she, right. but because she secretly has a crush on her big sister Akane. Yes. And I, mm-hmm. At that point, I was like, "I want off this ride." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is a nugget of something with the idea that, like, the Cupid girl, angel lady, is like just the most like shipper trash girl there is, who's just super into like everything. Yeah, and has the power to make it happen in the real world. Like, there's a I can imagine a world where you could make a funny show based yeah. on that. And like essentially it's especially And easy for the first because... five minutes, this seemed like it might be that Ex- show. Exactly. That's why we're able to imagine it, because for at least a little bit, it yeah, it was a pretty decent comedy show with those right. two bouncing off each other and Yuri just being a an idiot. <laughs> but then it just immediately descended into like you said, just portraying tropes and confusing that with mocking them yeah yeah it's it's 
it starts out with some promise and then just gets lazier and lazier as it goes on. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't think yeah, I, I guess I don't think there's really much more to say about it because ultimately there's no. nothing like outstandingly like offensive or insane about it. It's just Right. It's just all the tropes you've seen before recycled in a way that is clearly trying to be satire, but is extremely bad about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you said, it's it's the epic movie of... It's like the date movie of yeah. romance animes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, precisely. <sighs> Ugh. Man. All right, so yeah. I, I mentioned last week that I knew yes. exactly what we were going to do next. Uh, part, right, partly right. because I was curious about what the heck this show was myself. Okay. Um, let me quickly pull it up here. So this is called My First Girlfriend is a Gal. All right. The summary is a new school term begins, as does the season of new encounters. As he surveys his class full of couples... Hashiba Junichi's mind is filled with distress as he asks himself, Why am I still a virgin? Having heard from his oh friends boy. that the easiest way to fulfill his long-standing desire to graduate from the Fellowship of Virgins is to kowtow to a gal, Junichi oh does exactly that and asks his classmate Yukana out. And, and unbelievably, she actually agrees to date him. What will become of Junichi from now on? Does, does gal have a connotation in Japan that I'm not I'm missing here? I'm, I'm guessing let, let me let me check. Okay, Google Google help me out here. Japanese slang gal. Alright, Yaru. Well you you have posted the Crunchyroll page of Boy, yeah. just, it's it's a lot of different uh-huh. women of like different heights and builds, but all of them have boobs the size of Jupiter. All right, so uh, Gyaru is a Japanese transliteration of the English word gal. The name originated from a 1970s brand of jeans called Girls, G-U-R-L-S, with the advertising slogan, I can't live without men, and it was applied to fashion and pure conscious girls in their teens and early 20s. Its usage, its usage peaked in the 2000s, 2000s and has gradually declined. The term gradually drifted to apply to an older group whose seeming lack of interest in work or marriage gained the word a childish image. It is now used almost interchangeably with Kogal. That didn't help at all. Yeah. Uh, it, though it definitely seems derogatory. <laughs> Well, sorry, that, what's that? It does seem derogatory, though, just from that description. Y- yeah, yeah. Like, the, the the thing that I jumped to, like, I can't live without men being that slogan for the jeans or whatever, is it supposed to be, like... Judging from, prom- judging from what I'm like seeing... Like a promiscuous girl? Judging from what I'm seeing here is that it, it... Yeah, it seems like it's being applied to girls who want sugar daddies or... Yeah, who are, okay. who are promiscuous and want men for, like, the status and fashion it brings them. I see. I'm guessing, look, I'll do some more research. <laughs> uh, because, as as we all know, this is a very serious podcast. Right, right, of course. I am seeing the episode titles all use the word gal. 
It's my first time begging a gal. Well, okay, episode two is my first karaoke, but then it's my first spray-on gal. My first serious gal. My first half-assed gal. Yeah, my first spray-on gal sounds like the uh, Ganguro culture, which is a a gal with artificial deep tan and bleached hair. Which one of the girls on this, like, poster is is definitely that look. So that's probably her focus episode. (laughs) Right, right, right. But yeah, yeah, so that's going to be our next one. Lucky me. I promise that after this, uh, I will take a break from the uh, terrible romance genre. And, uh, I just, come up Dustin, with I don't want to be arrested from doing this podcast. Look, it's fine. <laughs> even though, right. even though there's like a girl who looks like she's ten years old yet has like Jacob breasts, uh, you're gonna yep, be okay. Mm-hmm, I promise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Okay, that's enough silence. All right, so with that out of the way, let's talk about Fate Apocrypha, episode six, where the only part of this episode that matters is Mordred. Oh, man, I wish I could have been there when you talked about Love Tyrant. I actually saw that show. Oh, really? Yeah. It, it was bad. It was real bad. I enjoyed it, for the most part. I mean, there were five minutes that were good. Uh, but anyway... uh. You know who else is a tyrant that I love? Mordred. <laughs> Mordred versus the cat. The <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm confused by the uh gen by by how the gender swapping in fate works. <laughs> yeah. I'm thoroughly confused because it's like Yeah, because it specifically says in this episode that Mordred is the product of Arthur and a witch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I also I, like. I, I've been over <laughs> this in the past, but what happened is that Merwin is kind of a douchebag, so he gave uh, Arturia a dick. Oh. 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 Okay. For right. a, a period of time. This sounds like a dojin. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thus, Mordred. Thus, Mordred. Pretty sure was I've actually read that before. <laughs> uh, so that's why. And, and as far as why Arturia is, re- or King Arthur is referred to as he, is because he's hiding his gender. Although that seems weird because he quite clearly looks female. But anyway. Yeah, Arturia is not doing a great job at it because, like, she's still she's still very dressing extremely femme. So, I don't know. It's the fate universe, man. Don't don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there Just go with it. The the one thing that is interesting to me is that Mordred also accepts like, "Oh yes, I am Arthur's son." Which is also kind of weird. Well, I, like... I think it's a, a a part of well, obviously a female can't be a knight, especially a knight of the round table. That sort of thing. Yeah, and I mean, and I... she uh she always wore her helmet on. Yeah, but like she calls herself that as like, like even though even like the witch still calls her the son of, our it's I, because like oh, my main issue with it is that there could be some really interesting stuff to comment on that about, but fate is just not. 
Fate is not a well-written series. No. I love it. <laughs> I, I, I love the series, but also it's extremely dumb. So it has not a lick of intelligence in it to actually make any sort of interesting commentary about gender roles in society at large. No, that that is asking way too much of Fate. Yeah, and also, like, or investigate why someone might uh, want to deny their own gender identity. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, yes, in conclusion, Nasu is not as I'd, smart as he thinks he is. Yeah, I'd even be cool with it if, like, it would, because, like, it'd actually be kind of cool if Mordred was canonically a trans man, a trans male. That would be neat, but also that's not something Fate would ever do, because, again, the, the entire driving force behind why Fate makes historically male figures into female characters is because titties! Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And there's literally nothing beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> but even still Mordred's a really fun character uh, she chased a cat in this episode and that was good and then she fought um, a little yeah she got she got to do some fighting against uh, the centaur archer and Jack um, the Ripper yeah also Jack the Ripper who like I I still hate the Jack the Ripper design what with like the weird it's like she's not wearing any pants she's yeah. there's just panties yeah 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 uh, but like at least the fight was really well choreographed it was a lot of fun so there's that <laughs> um yeah fun uh jack the ripper bit in uh nobody gun nobody gun uh has uh florence nightingale being jack the ripper Good yeah times. what that that was Excuse actually a really me? good reveal. Uh, so it it basically Excuse me. It, 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 it had an in-universe reason. So effectively, someone was trying to spread some sort of plague thing through the prostitutes, and uh, she had this like device or ability that let her see where it was. So that's the reason for the missing organs of the prostitutes. That's how they did that. I'm torn between that being a really clever twist and between how incredibly offensive it is that they took like a highly respected feminist figure and may and combined her with a man who's known for murdering hookers. <laughs> to be fair, they don't know Jack the Ripper's gender. Oh, man. Are uh, you saying that a woman wouldn't be capable of doing that, Dustin? That only a man could? Aaron, I will destroy <laughs> you. <laughs> also, probably my favorite part of the episode is when the uh, the Master of Archer just straight up comes out wearing the like the spider harness. Yeah, <laughs> that like, fight what? was also really good. Like, I actually may have might have liked that the ending to that fight more than I liked the Mordred uh, versus Jack the Ripper fight, just because I love the idea of the necromancer going like, "None of my necromancer tricks are working. Screw it, I have a car. <laughs> I'll just run her over. I will. I will just Tokyo drift into you." <laughs> Just the, the stupid spider arm thing that just climb around and then shoot guns. <laughs> yeah, she the, she's literally Japanese Dr. Ock. It's great. 
like if doc if dr octopus like also had like a gun that in one of his tentacle arms like uh yeah there was a lot of stuff to like about this episode um complete with the implication that to make up for their missing homunculus they're going to turn siegfried's master into homunculus which a like yeah it's super evil but b also screw that guy (laughs) also he's kind of a douche yeah so you know what i don't care yeah he's basically only good for harvesting his magic circuits so yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. but yeah again just just more reason to uh root for the root for the red team Uh, because the black team is filled with a bunch of dicks I did <laughs> I did really like the scene where Berserker's master leaves and then she turns to the computer, pulls the plug, and is just like, Yes, I can do with this. It's like yeah. Berserker, what are you planning? Yeah, Frank uh Frankenstein's all like hmm <laughs> Like she's clearly gonna charge herself up with it. Or something It was just like, Yes, this'll work nicely. It's like, uh, a guy's Frankenstein's up to something. Someone should probably keep an eye on the Berserker. <laughs> Never leave the Berserker alone. Yeah, really. You should know this by now. <laughs> Did you not see what happened to the other Berserker? I mean, to be fair, Spartacus was a lot more Berserker. <laughs> That's true. He was far more Berserk. Yeah, he was very he was very much my love for you is like a truck berserker. <laughs> I still love that scene in the first episode where he freaks out the poor uh Yeah, the, the poor farmer, hunter. The hunter or whatever he was, yeah. <laughs> Just comes uh, up to him, he's like, he Anyway, Fate Apocrypha is probably more dumb than the other fate series but it's also a lot more fun than the other fate series so yeah and we really haven't gotten like, into the meat of it yet either yeah because like fate stay night had rin who is maybe the best fate character absolutely <laughs> certainly absolute, in the running absolute best girl like certainly in the running at the very least top three i would certainly say for fate uh, yes but also, like, Fate Stay Night had a lot of dumb stuff, mostly involving Shiro. Shiro. Yeah. Uh, then And then you have Fate Zero, which generally was a bit smarter, mostly because Nasu wasn't writing it. Um, but also, it was pretty dour. Well, of course, the thing about Shiro being dumb in Fate Stay Night is that he actually gets called on his stupidity. In the, in the yeah. show, okay, he he does occasionally. It's yeah, it's, especially. It's it's why I really like it's why I really like Rin, and also for the most part, like Archer Emia. Uh, it's just yeah, just Unlimited Blade Works has kind of a dumb resolution to that. Is all, but yeah, so Fate Zero ha- is generally smarter about its writing and character development, but also it's a lot more dour. Because also, Kenny Apocrypha was not written by Nasu. It was just supervised by him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. At... Wait, no, never mind. Wait. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I never really call Fate Zero a fun series. No. <laughs> really. 
whereas like apocrypha very much leans into the premise of the fate universe is just like what if we just had a bunch of like historical figures fight each other and it's like yeah actually that's good turns out yeah yeah Um, how can we make this uh this story about uh seven historical figures fighting each other why don't we just double the number yeah exactly so (laughs) yeah so it's very stupid but also it's it's a lot more fun uh just like pure fun than the other two fate series have been so i appreciate it for that um so I'll, i'll give this i'll give this episode Hmm. I'll give it a four, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna give it four as well. Yeah. I'm also curious what uh what the necromancer's deal is with that monkey paw thing he used oh, for the bounded yeah. field. That's a good point. I'm not sure. Who knows, man? Necromancers are mysterious. Yeah. Uh, he was. I think he was using it to cast a barrier of some sort. Yeah, it was a bo- uh, bounded field of isolation. I, I'm mostly interested in it to see what the heck the gar- the hanging gardens of Babylon do. Oh yeah. Yes, we shall see. Anyway, I'll give it a four. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Also, cat. All right. Yeah, yeah, cat murdered. The, the, like, there's a reason I'm saving up uh, all my quartz in uh, Fate Grand Order to roll for a Mordred. <laughs> Which means I'm guaranteed not to get her. But yeah, pretty whatever. much. If I don't, I can always save up for uh, Summer Nobunaga, who wields an electric guitar. <laughs> um, I need to show you that because it's very good. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk about Princess Principal. No, Helgor's next. Oh, right. Sorry. Oh, wait. No, uh, no. Oh, you're right. No. Princess is next. Hey, I know my list, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Princess Principal, episode five. Uh, which is the most weeaboo of episodes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I just, it's like Japan, you're making fun of yourself here. Yeah, I kind of like that, actually. Yeah, so this, uh, yeah, so this episode shows how Chise gets on the team. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's a good times. Yeah, lots of murder in this one, a lot more than in previous episodes. Or at least there's a lot more blood than there has been previously. Yeah, swords tend to do that. Yep. Oh, they had guns too. <laughs> yeah, but oh, a yeah. lot of the con- a lot of the blood was swords, more yeah. so than yeah, guns. Yeah, a lot of a lot of dudes being slashed and or stabbed. Um, it was also a lot more action focused. There wasn't a whole lot of like actual spy shenanigans going on. It was mostly just hey. There's a train. Let's kill everybody inside it. <laughs> of course, it's that efficiency thing. <laughs> yeah, although, yeah, it's like... Like, the plot behind that, like, for some reason... Uh, okay, for some reason, uh, Normandy... The uh, Duke Duke. Yeah, Normandy, who's uh, let's see, who's like the spy master for the kingdom, uh, thought it was a good idea for uh, <clears throat> thought it was a good idea to let uh, this dude try and kill uh, the uh, Japanese uh, diplomat who was trying to make a deal with the kingdom. 
Well, also kill the princess. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or make sure she got framed for his murder. Yeah, somehow take her out of the running just in case. Yeah. She she's she was fourth in line to the throne, but that was close enough. Continue. Uh, but yeah, the the fight on top of the train, uh, top like with, um, she say going wild on the assassins is real good, and honestly, like this show hasn't had a whole lot of like extended fight scenes but the one between her and jubei was super good and honestly kind of shocking uh especially because the animation was really nice mm-hmm. uh, we haven't really seen the show do something like that uh in previous episodes also the choreography was top-notch yeah i loved when chisei was kind of like running up walls or like uh uh, there was this one really great scene where she like triangle kicks off a wall and then briefly uh, briefly lands on like a chair that was super good uh, I really like the motion in it and how like they show the chips on Jubei's sword earlier in the episode so when Chisei cuts through it um, you're like okay yeah that makes sense yeah, it shows both of their swords chipped. Yeah. But yeah, so, that that fight scene was real good. So, uh, we killed our father. Yeah. I pretty much knew that as they were talking about it. Yeah. Well, also Beatrice almost died. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, her voice box got in the road. Yeah, the- yeah, evidently that voice box is strong enough to block a sword slash to the neck. To be fair, it's a katana. Yeah. So it's it's not... D- d- dis- it's, despite uh, the the memes, it cannot cut through yeah. hard metal. Yeah, the, the, yeah. this is not a claymore. He's Superior nephon steel, folded a thousand times. Well, like I said, this is, <laughs> this is not a claymore he's wielding. So yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. I I I super love the final scene with, uh, or like, like the ending scene where they're all debriefing and they're talking to Dorothy, who's like drinking wine. They're like, "Are you sure you should be drinking alcohol?" And she's like, "Yeah, it's, my wounds are fine." <laughs> and and then like they're like then they're talking about uh like Lord uh, Horikawa or whatever, and they're like, "Wait, when did you seduce him?" Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Beatrice is like, wait, did you, you seduced him? Well, you it's like, that's an awfully busy. dirty word coming you, from a noble. Well, you, you guys were busy, and I had a little spare time on my hands, so, yeah. Dorothy is great. I, nor, normally, normally, like, I know I've said in the past that I, I wish Dorothy's role would be a bit more prominent, but I do kind of like the joke that Dorothy's doing all this like important behind the scenes stuff and they only find out later. Are <laughs> like, wait, hold on, when did you do this? It's like, oh while well, you guys were like fighting each other. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't a whole lot important well, going on, so yeah. Well Dorothy didn't uh, Dorothy held her own pretty well in the train fight. Yeah. <laughs> until no, she true. went boom. Yeah, until she got hit by a cannon, yes. 
Well, Which, was, to be it, fair, it's a cannon. Well, it was an improvised explosive device that blew the train apart. But yeah, I could have sworn I saw them like actually roll cannons out. Um, yes, they did oh. that. But uh, what what uh, what what detached the cars was that the uh, the uh, like the the guard <clears throat> the guard had a bomb on him, and, oh, okay. and the bomb and the bomb went off, and that's what uh, detached the train the train cars. And- and almost yeah, and detached. And almost detached Dorothy in the process. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. That's, One thing the... I was curious about, though, is that I like the visual gag, but the scene where Ange and Chise are going through the train card filled with the guards, and they keep like taking playing cards from them. Yeah. What was up with that? It was funny, but I don't didn't understand what they were doing. What. I'm assuming. Just like messing with them. Yeah, either messing with them or helping them out. I, I'm not entirely sure, but it was still hilarious, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I almost wonder if they were taking advantage, like, sort of like how the the London guards, like, their whole thing is they can't react to you. They just have to be very, like, motionless and stern, <laughs> like, if they were taking advantage of that, just, well, like, screwing with them. That could have been a possibility as well. Yeah. And it's also interesting seeing how... How Chise gets on to Ange's wavelength in terms of, like, with, like, you know, because, like, you know, she's, like, because, like, when Ange is talking about how, like, the black lizard planet or whatever, it's, like... Oh, yeah. Chise's, like, well, Kagi came from the moon. Yeah, she's, like, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, and Ange is just, like, wait, what? Been there, done I can't that. wait... I can't wait until the second to last episode of Princess Principal where they reveal that the Black Lizard Planet is actually real. <laughs> and then it becomes a sci-fi space opera. That'd be great. That'd be such a good twist. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm an alien. That'd be so awesome. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Sidonia yeah. left me here? Sure, why not? Well, that's the thing, is that the in the, uh, yes, in the original thing by, in the original in the original book by H.G. Uh, Wells that introduced Caverite, they used it to travel to space. So, yes. <laughs> oh, shit! shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes, do it! <laughs> I want this so bad. Well, I, uh... Yeah. Oh, boy. Alright, anyway. This was a pretty good episode. I'll give it a five. Yeah. Right. Yep. Anything less is, is being mean to it. Alright, speaking of being very mean, Hell Girl, Yoi, to- Yoi no Togi, I believe, episode 4. Yep. Yes. This one was significantly better. Um, I actually quite liked it. Uh, the villains were still, like, a little bit cartoonish, but it was okay because... Um, you know, elder abuse is something that actually happens. Yeah, especially in uh, nursing homes, it's surprisingly common. Yeah, and also the rest of the characters were a lot more nuanced and interesting. Um, <clears throat> yes, and we get so... a returning character from the previous seasons. Oh, really? Who? Yes, can you guess who it is? Uh, the... The old lady? No. Who summons the... Although that is possible. Wait, really? (laughs) Okay. So a lot of times 
in case oh, you have... Oh, wait, the, the, it wasn't the, like, the good female staffer? Yes. Like, the, the female nurse, like, who could see, like, the weird kid with the green eyes? Yes, her. Uh, okay. So, in the first three series, um, basically, she starts out seeing what uh, Enma I sees, and part of the plot is her trying to stop her and uh, investigating all of the mysterious disappearances caused by the Hell Girl. Oh, so she was like kind of a main character in the first season then. Kind of, yeah. So she played various roles in the first three seasons. So it was cool to see her again. Uh, it's been a while since I saw the first three seasons, so uh, I'm kind of rusty on that. Yeah, I had to, like, I was pretty sure once she started having the visions, and then I checked her name, and then went back to uh, AnnaDB to find it. Huh. Yeah. So, that cool. was pretty cool. That is cool. work. Neat. But yeah, uh, yeah, so I enjoyed this episode. I especially loved the parts with, um... The uh the elderly dude who's a part of Hellgirl's squad. Uh, uh yeah, Juan Yudo. Oh, that's his name. Yeah. Yeah, I loved his interactions with um the uh the elderly character, the the main el- elderly character. Sakura. Uh, uh yeah, Sakura. Yeah, his his scenes with her were pretty adorable. Uh, I also love. I love how I love the subtle bit about her hands already having dirt on them when like she asked him to take her to the soccer tree um and then you realize later that oh she her hands were dirty because she was burying the evidence so they wouldn't find so like the evil people wouldn't find it <laughs> mhm yeah yeah, so there were a lot of uh, this episode. Like the the villains weren't particularly interesting, um, but that was okay because everybody else was, um, and like you really rooted for them and wanted them to succeed. Um, and it wasn't like nearly as over the top ridiculous as episode three was. Uh, again, even though the villains were a little bit. Uh, cartoonish it was still grounded in a very real thing um well yeah so it it, it... go ahead yeah well because uh yeah because the thing about that is that yeah you have this like yeah you, i mean it's at this nursing home where like the staff the staff like members of the staff are abusive uh, and the uh the head of the thing is basically trying to cover everything up and yeah and, and enabling the abuse you know so like yeah so like so for like the main like so the main villain is not just you know like she's not just pointlessly sadistic what she's basically trying to do is she's like you know trying to (laughs) you know trying to basically protect her position Yeah. But yeah, so, uh, I will, hmm, I'll give this episode, I'll give it a five, actually. Like, I, I really liked it. I thought it was pretty solid. 
Yeah. Um, uh, same here. And there's there's not really a whole lot I'd change about it. What about you, Aaron? I think Aaron, are you still there? Or nope. Has Aaron succumbed to uh, he, 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 uh, Saturday Night Live? Yeah, I was watching it. I, uh, okay. No, I agree. I, I, it was a good episode, and I'm curious to see if they're gonna have. Uh, uh, I can't remember her name now, but her the return nurse show for up again. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Anyway, I will let you get on to watching SNL. Have fun, Aaron. Because it's time for the rest of us to talk about My Hero Academy episode 31, where they introduce a hero who is literally a dog. Well, it's the chief of police. He sniffs, <laughs> yeah. out, he sniffs out things. Yeah, he takes a bite out of crime. You got it. Thank you. I, I couldn't do the McGruff thing. I'm glad you did it. Yeah, they, uh... <coughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they, 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 they retain the bit where, like, his dialogue is full of dog puns uh, from, the, oh, from yeah. the manga. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that was there. That was there in the original, too. Well, given... It's super good. Given the choices that they were given and keeping Todoroki's temper under control for five minutes, uh, actually it worked out pretty good because I figured somewhere along the line that with all the that had gone on, we had to violate a law or two somewhere. It looks like they violated more than a law or two, but it is what it is. Yeah, UA students are not supposed to be going, you know, uh, doing their... Uh, yeah, they're not supposed to be using their powers without permission. That's uh, well, yeah. They're they're uncertified heroes, so you know this yeah. is like civilians doing it. You well, you're not properly licensed and registered, so you can't run around and kill people yet. Yet, no, there was a yet in there. Right. Yeah. So so that's uh yeah that actually uh shows uh. One of the nice things about the way this uh, world is built is that, you know, is that there's a sense of realism to it in that uh, actions have consequences. Yeah. As it should be. Um, Grant Torino on the phone to All Might going, you know, I got my teaching license suspended for six months. Yeah. Yeah, I Thanks, I like Gran Torino calling uh All Might calling uh All Might and All Might just being like, Oh god, I'm so sorry. It's like oops. <laughs> it's like um It's like uh he's just in, gee, this kid reminds me of somebody I know like you. Uh Yeah. Then we've got some foreshadowing about uh one for all. Sorry, not uh, all for one I should say. Yep. Uh, he says, uh, you're going to have to sit down and tell the boy, uh, you know, he could blow up if he's not careful. Okay, okay, I guess I'll do that. Yeah, you better do that. Uh, let's see here. Um, man, I'm trying to remember what else interesting happened in well, this episode. The, the girls finally got to go out on patrol after several commercials. Oh, God, yeah, finally. Good Lord. <laughs> uh... uh. 
also, it's, it's, I mean, like, this was, uh, mostly a transitional episode, you know, in that, yeah. it, 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 in that, you know, it's sort of, uh, cooling down from the, uh, you know, cooling down from, like, the, like, a big action of the previous, uh, episodes, and, you know. Which was mostly fine, uh, I did like the idea of having, uh, Stain influence other villains to come out of the woodwork. Um, so I did like that idea. Yeah, which... Uh, but on the other hand, it was also a very slow episode. <laughs> uh, well, well you know, I liked it. But now, you know... We... It, it... Go ahead. Yeah, then, then, next, then next week we're going to have a, an anime original episode where it's like showing the other heroes in their internships, which uh, should be pretty good. Uh, comical, I hope. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I uh, Deku and Araka on the phone. It's like, and, you know, he's like, wow, he says I can talk to a girl on the phone. She wasn't, oh, fa- yeah. she wasn't phased in the least bit, and he's, you know, about ready to have the major coronary and fall over on his face. Oh yeah, well, Uraraka is never phased by uh, by that sort of thing. Like, whereas it is well established that uh, Deku is like th- just three steps away from breaking into a tear fountain at any opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> but I I pretty much enjoyed this episode. Uh, the the police chief. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's going to work out okay. This is this is going to be I, an interesting addition. Yeah, I, I like I like McGruff. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I was watching that and I'm like, the minute he walked in and started the barking dialogue, I'm like, okay, where are we going? Yeah, that's where we're going. We're going to take a bite out of crime. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. This ought to be fun. Yeah. So, I will give this episode a four. Yeah, I'll give it, I'll give it a five. I'll give it a five. <sighs> okay, well, I'm giving it the four because it could have. I don't know. It was okay, but it could have been better. Um, let's talk about Made in Abyss episode five. Um, hmm. yeah. this episode is tricky because while there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, at the same time, it, it felt very, this one felt very slow. Yeah. Um, and not in a way that really served any particular purpose. A lot of time was spent on just kind of like delaying the, the ending scene. It felt like. You know, because like the the actual like uh, there were a couple interesting points in this episode. The first interesting point um, was where Red shoots his giant laser, and Rico gets super excited about him shooting his giant laser, um, and sort of the talk they have about that. And then the next really interesting part was when they get to the lookout point. 
And sort of everything in between there, like, is... Phil? Could have been condensed significantly more, I feel. Because I didn't really get a lot out of it, and the dialogue wasn't super interesting either. Um, aside from, like, one little bit during the the like dinner scene where they talk about how like you know uh everything feeds off adventurers when you think about it so <laughs> yeah we're all lunch yeah i do how it, so how the thing mimicked, I, I felt i go ahead go ahead larry uh, how the thing mimicked the fallen warrior to uh that was a uh, pretty cute uh oh yeah as soon as i heard that as soon as I heard that helped me, I was like, that does not sound like an actual adventure voice. That is totally a trap. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Well, and, Re- it, and Rico and Rico even warned him about it, but Reg went ahead anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, every once in a while, you know, you just gotta straighten people out. And luckily nobody died. Well, nobody important died. People died, but nobody important died. I do like the look of the inverted forest, too. Yeah, that bouncing in the wrong direction thing had to be... uh... There was some effort put into the animation in this episode. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right, because, like... Yeah, like, the middle part of the episode, yeah, there wasn't a lot of action, but... But the showing... But basically showing them, like, going through this, like... You know going through this this world was still really entertaining for me. Yeah. Like, yeah, it just like, yeah, because you can just, like, luxuriate in, like, the, uh, in these backgrounds. And that music. It's, yep. Uh, yeah, on the one hand, yeah, like there's some really great environment design, uh, but also, I don't know, I felt like it could have been 15 minutes shorter than it was, or given us more <laughs> maybe information. That's, maybe maybe that's a maybe that's a little more little extreme. Um, maybe like five to eight minutes shorter. Well, but well, yeah, it. I I really wish, um, you know, because because we've been going on this like we're traveling down the abyss without like. A whole lot of character interaction for a while now um and mostly i was just really waiting for you know more interesting stuff in the abyss to start happening for them to start meeting entirely different characters um because reg and rico while good um can't sustain the show on their own at least not for me yeah, I'm looking forward to how they're going to interact with the people at the Seeker camp. Yeah. Hossein says, it looks like the person who's running the Seeker camp knows uh, Rico's mom. Well, yeah, she's the one, uh, yeah. it was uh, the previous episode, actually, she's the one who helped drag Rico up to the surface, because she was the only one strong enough to, like, uh, help lift right, the right, right, device right. she was in. That's, you're, okay. Yeah, um, and... I actually remembered a plot point for once. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself. Uh, and also, yeah, she seems a little, uh, she seems a little resentful. Yeah. It's like, you're still alive. Dang. 
Uh, I give this episode a four. I'll agree with that four. I'll give it a four as well. All right. Let's talk about The Reflection, episodes two and three. Because uh, I totally forgot to talk about The Reflection, episode two, um, on our previous recording. I'm glad that I decided to stick with it because it's getting a lot more interesting. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, because, like, like, the first episode was a tone piece, but, like, here it seems that, you know, they're actually telling a real story. Yeah, I also think it's uh, leaning into the benefits of its art style a lot more than it did during the first episode. Because during the first episode, there were a lot of like action scenes which didn't really suit the animation style they had. Whereas episodes two and three are a lot more about characters interacting with each other. There are certainly plenty of... There are still like action scenes in them. But the focus is on character dialogue and uh, the framing of those scenes, which suits the art style significantly better. Uh, so overall, like I'm actually fairly impressed by uh, what the series has done so far uh, in episodes two and three. Um, I like the idea of like these heroes kind of not necessarily being hated, but also not necessarily being trusted a whole lot simply because, and not even because of their actions themselves necessarily, but because of the way they were brought about. Like some people got lucky and got superpowers. Other people did not get very lucky at all. Well, and and um, and also a lot of people died. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant by not getting lucky yeah. at all. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, well, right? Because <clears throat> so there's it's resentment, not necessarily necessarily toward the toward the uh, um, toward the superheroes themselves, like there would be with say the X Men, where the X Men's whole thing is like, "Ew, gross mutants! Let's oppress them." It's more about how like these like some of these people got amazing powers from this horrible disaster and there's a lot of mixed feelings about what happened and some people can't let go of what <laughs> the event did for did to their their families regardless of how how much it might have helped other people uh which is a really interesting take on it yeah there's actually uh yeah actually this reminds me there was a there was a, there was a series of books um, that were uh, called Wild Cards, which was a, a kind of uh, <clears throat> which was, it was kind of a shared world anthology where like a whole bunch of where a bunch of different authors contributed stories set in in, in this like uh, sort of superhero type setting where like where this plague like killed a whole bunch of people. And gave a bunch of other people superpowers, and like mutated a whole bunch of other people, and and so it was like following on from that. I didn't read any of it, uh, but I, I mean, I, I've like seen the books in the bookstores and all that stuff. It, huh? It was the series was created by a group of New Mexico science fiction authors and mostly edited by George R. R. Martin. Yes. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I never, I never, yeah, I never actually read any of it, but, uh, 
But that's what it reminds me of. That's what the the reflection reminds me of. <clears throat> yeah, because, like, yeah, so, like, this kind of, like, alternate history science fictional thing. Science fictional is, like, a, you know, basically using it as a setup for superhero stories. Yeah. And, yeah, so, like, the, the, like, the reflection event sort of seems to, like, provide the same purpose that the, uh, the plague and wild cards did. I also really like the character of, um, I can't remember his hero name, the guy with the red X mask. Exxon. Exxon, yeah. I really like his personality. Like, he's very... He's a little bit aloof. Um, he's 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 a little bit like what I love about the best Wolverine comics, actually. Well, where Wolverine is is very much like this aloof guy who kind of doesn't want to interact with people a whole lot, but deep down he cares a whole lot. Um, it, almost like too much for his own good, uh, and like it gets him into trouble. Um, so he, he feels a lot more like that, but, you know, with less of Wolverine's kind of, like, rough badassery. Uh, I also like the journalist character. She is, um, she is kind of, uh, she's very much the sort of prototypical, like, sidekick character, but without any of, like, the, she's, like, plucky and gets into trouble, but without any of sort of the annoyances that you t tend to come along with that sort of character archetype. Uh, because the ways she gets into trouble are very, you know, they make a lot of sense. You have a lot of sympathy for the decisions she makes. Right, because she's a journalist and she's trying to get the story. So, of course, yeah. so she's going to go, so of course she's going to, like, go to dangerous places. And, and also her power is very good at getting her out of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, like, episode two uh, focused a lot on Eye Guy, who it turns out was originally the, the musician who came up with that uh, that Sky Show song that was used in the... Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah. like, playing all the time in the first episode. Yeah, yeah I guy who is apparently basically like if Tony Stark was like an aspiring indie musician. <laughs> well, well, actually, well, no, it's not that he's aspiring. He's actually an over the hill musician because yeah, because yeah, basically he was like a one hit wonder who's like been living off the uh, who's been living off the residuals from that his big hit. Oh yeah, one hit wonder. <laughs> and, you know, until uh, until the reflection happened, and he got superpowers. <laughs> but yeah, I I really like all the characters in this show, and I feel like even in the action scenes they did uh, for episode three, um, it felt a lot less janky than it did in episode one. I think partly because the metal power worked really well worked really well for the sort of chunky. Uh, ex uh, like chunky sort of style they're going that they have available to them, uh, so that way they can just like uh, clump this metal together and make it move in this chunky wave, and it looks actually pretty good. 
So they're they're playing into their strengths a lot more in these most recent episodes, and I'm honestly surprised by how much they've turned my opinion on this show around. Yeah, yeah. Episode three, episode three uh, focuses on Lisa, the uh, this girl who uh, who turns out her superpower is uh, she can turn her wheelchair into a mech. Lisa is so good. I, Lisa is so good. Like she's essentially like if uh, uh, the best way to describe her is like armor from X Men. If armor was um, if armor like uh, was paraplegic, um, and yeah, her her mech is rad. I love how it's essentially powered by her imagination. So, like, if she just wants to shoot a bunch of rockets, she can shoot a bunch of rockets. Um, I like Lisa's character. I, li- I like the design of her wheelchair. Like, it, just looking at the wheelchair, you can tell that she loves superheroes. Because it's even got, like, Captain America-esque wheels. <laughs> Looks like a shield. <laughs> um, yeah, and... Uh, yeah, and the relationship between her and her father was uh, very well, very well drawn. Yeah, yeah, his, yeah, her father is, he's kind of a dick initially, um, but also you very much get the sense later on that he's a dick because, you know, bad things have happened to his daughter and, like, he doesn't want anything else bad to happen to her, because, so he's being, like, really overly protective um and she calls him out on it too uh which is also great where like she tells him like i don't like don't say i have a disability i don't have a disability i am fine um which is very much a thing uh that people who um you know uh, may have a wheelchair or uh other traits that we would consider to be disabilities that that is definitely an opinion that some of them have like not everyone uh who has been uh changed in that way always thinks of it as like some horrible thing uh everyone's different in that regard Uh, and i liked that they made that point with that character um so yeah i it's I'm glad that it turned my opinion around because I did really want like I mentioned it during the first episode we reviewed, but I really wanted to like this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it is giving me a reason to like it. Um, and, it's, and it's also showing that it is as thoughtful as I thought it was going to be, or I guess as I was hoping it was going to be. Yeah. So uh, anyway, episode two, I'm going to give a four and episode three, I'm going to give a five. The show just keeps getting yeah, better I, and better as it goes along. I agree with those scores. All right, so uh, I believe that'll do it for this episode of Baka Cast. We have um, uh, we, we have, have a lis- yeah. we have a listener question. Oh, oh, we do. We do. Okay. Yeah, yes, we do. All right. Yeah. yeah. At the yeah. Uh, yeah at the bottom of uh, episode three thirty six, we have a big uh, we have a post from Dayriff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Dayriff has some stuff to say about uh, Centaur's worries. Um, 
To add on to that long discussion of Centaur's worries, there is a take on it where the manga is trying to make a point, and the point is a more right-wing, multicultural, multiculturalism can be bad when it's enforced from the top down than a simple anti-discrimination message. Um, I say there's a take because it's hard to pin the manga down. The things the government does often correspond to a political correctness gone mad, conservative stereotypical fears of liberal thought policing, but always against a backdrop where they're coming from a past of genuine racial violence and oppression that the government is trying to solve. Which, that is a... Uh, I'm going to pause real briefly right here because that is very much the sense that I was getting that I couldn't quite put into words, so I'm glad Dayriff pointed that out because... Uh, yeah, those were definitely the, the signals I was getting as well, where there seemed to be two conflicting um, sort of messages in the show. Uh, however, I don't really want to talk specifically about Centaur's Worries, a show you've probably long since dropped. Instead, I'd like to push on Dustin's desire that anime more often have something to say about real issues. It's great when an anime has something to say, but what if what it's saying isn't something you agree with? I think the reason why even anime with a message tries to stick to relatively bland and non-controversial messages, like Demi-chan, is the same reason American television does. Once you take a stand, you're alienating everyone on the other side of, the sta of that stand. As an example, I saw Gate get a lot of negative feedback not for its bland harem tropes, harem tropes but for its pro-militaristic nationalistic message. To make this more of a Bakakast-style question for the group, have you read any manga or watched any anime that had a political message you personally disagree with, but you can still respect the work for making a coherent argument for its own point of view and think it's a good work? Uh, actually, so this might seem like a weird answer, but Gurren Lagann. Uh, because there is a point in Season 2 where one of the main characters is uh oh, the science the scientist guy i cannot remember his name but he is making this point like you know the anti-spirals are coming going to like come for us we need to come up with some sort of plan we need to be realistic about this and like you know we we can't just rely on you know hope and machismo to get us through the day and in the end he ends up being totally wrong and uh and Simone's reliance on bravado is, uh, like, validated. And that actually really pissed me off. Uh, oh, um, uh, that guy... But I... Yeah, that guy was Rosu. Yeah, Rosu. But I still really like the show anyway, even though I often had issues with its... Um, with the messages it was putting forth. Um, yeah, cause like... because, like... Because, like, it... Yeah, yeah, I see your point, because in the real world, like, Rocio would be right, and Simone would yeah. be wrong, but... Yeah, Simone is only correct because he lives in a world where, like, narrative contrivances can actually exist to, like, make his stuff work. Um, so, yeah, but, like, on the other hand, like, I get what they were going for with that, in, like, because... Like, a lot of the core message of Gurren Lagann is not giving in to despair and simply believing in yourself because often that is the... Because oftentimes, like, to be fair, in real life, a lot of... And, I like, I know this from my own personal experience, 
a lot of times we don't move forward in life is because we don't believe in ourselves and we just automatically assume that failure is what's going to happen um because that is like a that is a move that is a thought i have had at multiple points in my life where i simply haven't tried or haven't tried as hard as i should have simply because i assumed oh i'm just gonna fail so i get what gurren lagan was going for i just also think it was presented in a really bad way that i really didn't care for but i still like the series as a whole um and honestly as much as i dislike gate and uh the very Ayn Randian um, uh, magical high school, the irregular at magical high school show. Like at least those anime are saying things. Well, okay, the, uh, yeah. at least in some in some sense. Yeah, the problem with irregular magic high school was not that it had a right wing message. The problem was that it was boring. Yeah, it was like <laughs> because it was not a True. well it was not a well made show because it was just just mind numbingly dull. Yeah, that's I why mean, I was like, getting there, a movie in the second season. Yeah, I mean there 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 are plenty of things that I have watched that have sort of jingoistic and or right wing esque like messages and cores to them that I still enjoy despite that fact. Um, for example, a lot of action movies that come out that came out in America in say the nineties, uh, or the eighties. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, oh, or, okay. Take the movie ghostbusters, the original, the oh, original yeah. ghostbusters, right? Like in the real world, you know, that EPA guy, even though he's a complete douche, he would, he would have been right. Yeah, he is completely right. <laughs> right, but... Right. And in fact, the movie even proves him right. <laughs> yes. But, but that's the thing, is that it's... Yeah, because he was douche... Because he was such a douche, like... Yeah, the movie basically tries to humiliate him when he really didn't deserve it. Um, well, yeah, so, so like... But, but I actually... Nope. I, have, I, have a, uh, I have an example from manga... And sure. okay, this is going to get very nerdy and wonky, but that's the kind of guy I am. Uh, and the example is uh, the manga Akumetsu, which actually has, which has a take on uh, Japanese economic policy. And that so like, <clears throat> so it's about this. Uh, so it's about this guy who's basically like, who's actually not a guy. He is actually a clone army. Which tries to reform, like Japanese politics and politics and economics, by basically murdering all the all like the corrupt politicians and businessmen, and like and the like the corrupt politicians and whatnot that like this dude murders are actually based on real life Japanese politicians. Like this thing actually names names, and so. So it's ballsy. The problem is, is that it's it's like its economic message is wrong. <coughs> what is its message? Right. Okay. So in the context of, so the thing happening with Japanese economic policy is that the Japanese government, for like decades, has been running humongous budget deficits, basically spending like like right now like they're 
debt to GDP rate, their debt is like almost twice as much as their GDP, which is insane. And yet, their economy is still working reasonably well. Uh, and so, like, so one of the things that the main character, like, well, the clone army is trying to do is he's basically trying to, like, give the prime minister, who's a pretty good guy, basically the chance to rein in some of that spending. And you're basically trying to get him to cut spending on, like, all these useless, uh, all these useless projects. Like, railroads to nowhere, basically. <laughs> in fact, like, one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, like, bad guys that, you know, our, our hero murders is this, like, railroad guy who's, like, obsessed with building more and more railroads. And so, like, you know, so our hero has him basically, okay. our hero has him, like, crushed by a train. It's, I think I see where this is going. Yeah. Because it's basically ignoring the fact that in a lot of healthy economies, debt isn't actually a big deal. Uh, yeah. Also, the problem is, is that if they actually had, if they actually were serious about reducing the deficit, that would actually send the economy back into recession. Because basically all that debt that the government is running up is like one of the only things actually keeping the economy afloat. Uh, so I admire like the courage that this manga had, but its message on economic policy is wrong. But for under yeah, but, like but for understandable reasons, because they really do spend, like, a lot of money on useless infrastructure projects. Yeah. And, like, honestly, this kind of brings up a great point about, you know, sort of, like, the what I kind of want to end this on. Or actually, sorry, first I'll ask Larry if you have any examples (laughs) of uh, shows where you didn't really like the message, but you still like the show. Uh, Let's see. I guess Schwarzmachen would be the one that kind of, in recent history, sticks out to me. The Schwarzmachen? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a, uh... Oh, yeah, that's one of those, uh... Oh, it's one of the Muv Love spinoffs. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it goes with... No- but it was like, you know, all the sacrifice for this and that and this and that, and then it turned out opposite what everybody thought it would be and they said but that happens well no not when you work this hard to make something go positive you 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 know they just shut it off in the middle they said oh everything oh yeah, it was yeah, just yeah everything all the it characters, was just super defeatist yeah all everything all the characters have done even though it would have worked should work could work uh they the writers made sure it didn't and it was like yeah that that often pisses me off uh, when sh- when uh, shows or movies are like incredibly defeatist about something. This is uh, it's actually why I really hated the ending of um, that indie movie Monster. Okay. Um, let's see. Wait, Monster? Which monster are you talking about? Or what was it? Uh, hold on a second. God, well, I thought it was called. A monster. It was the it, it was the indie film with like the the two leads um, trying to uh, like the the male lead is tasked with getting uh, this uh, rich dude's daughter out of a 
um, kaiju infested zone. God, now I can't remember. I could have sworn it was called Monster. Yeah, that doesn't but, mean because uh, the monster, the movie Monster that I was thinking, I mean, it was a biopic of Eileen Warnos, which was short, starring Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron, yeah, that's what I'm finding right now. Man, I could have sworn it was. Ah, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. Don't don't you love brain fades? Aren't they wonderful? It, this seriously annoys me. I I saw it on Netflix. Uh, I can't with, help uh, you there, because John. I can't. Yeah, I, I don't have Netflix, so I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, well, and you know, on a more current note, uh, uh, Tanya the Terrible. A lot of things in there were. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah actually. Yeah, okay. Uh, on a more current, that would have been my more current one that everybody in the room I know had seen. Uh, some of the things that were done in Tanya the Terrible were like, uh, huh? Well, yeah. Actually, I would not say that. It's called Monsters. It's called Monsters. Monsters. Uh, It was directed by Gareth Edwards. Uh, Same guy who directed uh, the 2014 uh, Godzilla movie and Rogue One. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, his his sort of breakout movie was Monsters, uh, which had an ending that I hated. (laughs) Uh... But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, I guess my uh, sort of like the way I kind of want to end on this question is that even with stuff like Gate, where I think where I like hate the message of it um, at its core, like it at least it has a message that I can say something about. Whereas with a lot of these shows, it's just like, let's just have cute girls doing things. Um. And there's just not really anything to say about it. It doesn't. It doesn't have a purpose outside of, you know, making money. Yeah, cash and cows. Like that's that's what frustrates me about a lot of these Monster Girl shows is that there is a lot of potential in these Monster Girl shows to actually talk about social issues. And they often don't because they don't want to lose those merchandising dollars. They know if like one, like one person who's turned off by your political message means one more person who won't buy your body pillow. Um, Yeah, it's a hell of a way to look at it, but you're right. And it really irritates me. So like, even if I don't like your message, you know, at least it gives me something to talk about and engage with. You know? Yeah. And ultimately, that's why I watch entertainment, is, is to engage with it. On, on some level, like, it, like, whether it be that it makes me really laugh because it's engaging in some really, you know, sharp wit, uh, or if it's something like... Um, Uh, like fate apocrypha which is real dumb but it has really fun characters engaging in rad battles uh that can be good too or if it's something like uh or one of my favorite things to talk about on this show uh on this podcast are shows like eccentric family which do very much have messages 
that aren't necessarily political. Um, they could just be about, you know, the nature of relationships. Um, but Eccentric Family was very much trying to say something. Uh, it had a message to share. And ultimately, all the art I love talking about has a message to share to someone. So, yeah, I... That's ultimately what I want to see from more shows. Um, it's why I like The Reflection. It's why I like Hellgirl. Um, it's why I like My Hero Academy. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, so moving on. Uh, Dayriff continues. Other topics. Vatical, Vatican Miracle Examiner took until episode four to resolve its mystery and went completely insane when it did. I mean, when frozen Hitler sperm becomes a plot point, I watched it to the end of that arc and now have now dropped it. My God, Aaron was not joking with me when he said it gets weird. Yes, yes. It turns out that that church is a den of neo Nazis, and they're trying to make they're trying and the uh, like that supposed virgin birth is a Hitler baby. That wow. Oh boy! Yeah, it was. Okay. It got wacky. Uh, all right. Okay. Because as we all you, know, you, you, know you know, sometimes when you, I say that I read something and say, you know, maybe I don't want to watch this. Uh, so, yeah. so Vatican Miracle Examiner is taking a very much a uh, a nature stance on the nature versus nurture de debate. Except not because <laughs> because like no, it's because it's like because they still have. They still have a Hitler baby. It's like, and it's like, and actually the, like, yeah, the archbishop at the end is like, well, just because, just because the baby has Hitler's DNA doesn't mean he's going to turn out evil. We can create a better Hitler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, because, like, the reason why, like, the first Hitler baby, yeah, because it turned out one of the priests... Why would you even do that? <laughs> well, because the... Uh, that is my question. <laughs> because the founder of the church was a complete... Was a total Nazi who was trying to bring okay. back... Who was trying to bring back a new Hitler. And so okay. he had a... He, he like... Uh, so, like, one of the priests, turns out to be... Was the original Hitler baby. Who was being raised by a real... By a real-life Nazi. So, yes, if you're raised by Nazis... You're gonna t not gonna turn out good. Probably not. No. Anyway, continuing on with Dayriff on Made in Abyss, I actually got disturbed in episode three when it was made very clear that what Rico is doing is basically committing suicide for for no purpose that I can see really. On a vague hope she can find a mother she barely remembers, who yes is almost certainly dead. I don't blame her friends too much because they're just kids, but it was pretty awful how they're rather there. They watch her do something self-destructive that they will all pretty much acknowledge will kill her rather than tell an adult, even if Rico hates them for it. Which, I think you're supposed to be disturbed by it, by Rico's willingness to, eagerness to just essentially do something very suicidal with a very small chance of success. Um, but I think that in-universe, that decision makes sense to me. Because kind of from, like, a lot of those kids are orphans. In that, in fact, I'm pretty sure all of them are. Yes, they yes. were. Um, so, like, death is an extremely common thing yeah. in this universe that everyone is, like, honestly pretty blasé about. Yeah. 
Like that's like yeah, that's actually a thing. Is that like everybody in this world is incredibly fatalistic about the abyss because they yeah. they take it as a given that like one time or another they're going to go into the abyss and they're going to die in the abyss. Yeah. And like Rico Rico's whole goal is not necessarily just finding her mother, but being as amazing as her mother was. And the only way she can do that is by traveling into the abyss and doing something wonderful for humanity and dying a noble death. So like ultimately like Rico like her mother's death and the note she left her was like it wasn't the sole reason it was more like an excuse to do what rico already wanted to do in the first place now i uh, was was to follow in those footsteps and to attain the glory that other people have uh gained in the abyss now here's my question to you what if she gets down there and she comes face to face with her mother What's interesting about how Maiden Abyss is set up is that I think both options for either her mother being alive or her mother being dead are equally fascinating to me. Okay. So, you're, yeah, you're I, not, I think You're both... not going to be upset either way, then? No, no, because I think there's very interesting things you can do either direction with that. Okay. Because, like, if she's alive, then you can have Rico sort of confronting the fact like confronting her mother who she hasn't really who's never really been in her life and sort of trying to reconcile the actual person who is her mother with the image Rico has built up in her head as this mythological figure and if she's dead then you have Rico sort of dealing with this melancholy feeling of her having accomplished her objective but not really having much closure to speak of because you know she doesn't really get to ask her mother anything like like her mother is dead and she can't gain any closure on what well, you know her mother really felt about her and what her mother felt about the abyss well i think the more i think the like the likely outcome the likely end game is that her mother is alive but no longer human possibly that's another option too um so there there's a lot of different possibilities and i think all of them lead could lead to some interesting character moments for Rico. So whatever they do, I think it will be pretty neat. Um, But yeah, like that is one of the things I actually like about this show um, in regard, like sort of circling back to day riffs comments is that there's a lot of stuff about this universe that is messed up. um, But that people have kind of just accepted and like us who aren't living in that universe can recognize it as screwed up but for them that's just normal and it very much that's a very real thing that happens and you know when when people talk about like don't let this become the new normal when something bad happens for example there was a lot of stuff uh there was a lot of stuff going on among activist circles when um sorry i'm about to get political but this is actually super relevant uh, when Trump became president and started doing all these like unprecedented things, there was a lot of talk from activists saying like, don't let this become normal. Because if you do and you 
because if you do let it become normal, if you do let it become just like, oh, it's just Trump doing another thing again, then that will shift what is normal. And little by little, uh, you will get to a point where what once was unthinkable is now just another Tuesday. Uh, and that is kind of where the the world of Made in the Abyss, Made in Abyss is at, where all these things that to us seem horrendous are just, you know, their Tuesday. Actually, wow. what the, what the, actually what the Made in the Abyss reminds me of, it reminds me of this uh, science fiction book called Gateway by Frederick Pohl, where <clears throat> the setup for that is that there's like this, uh, ancient alien artifact, you know, uh, which is, which is basically a, you know, it's basically a bunch of, like, ships, you know, of, like, alien ships that, you know, they send people, you know, they send people to ride in these alien ships, and they don't know where they're going to go or what they're going to find, and, 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 you know, so they basically have, like, these, like, des poor, desperate people like signing up to take you know to ride these ships that they don't know where they're gonna go because like all like the control interfaces and all like the you know everything is you know everything is like basically designed by and for aliens uh, and so it's uh anyway really really interesting really interesting uh, I recommend it okay uh, I'd like to say something. Sure. Dusty said, and I, I don't want to quote you directly, but you said, you know, things become accepted that were never normal. Well, looking back on my life and looking at today, there are things right now that are considered normal that I never, ever would have thought of. Oh, yeah. And, like, to be fair, sometimes those things are good because, yeah. like, way back when it never would have, like homosexuality was completely unacceptable oh and, you didn't you know, even you of, didn't even talk about it and in a lot of in a lot of places it still is pretty uh like there is absolutely still oppression going on uh for in the lgbt community but like it is a lot more normal now than it used to be and so that's a good thing uh but also that sort of normalization can be bad in certain scenarios so well the, yeah it's some of the things that have just happened uh, and i'll just lightly touch the financial industry something relatively innocuous but you know can ruin somebody's life some of the things that banks are doing nowadays oh heaven oh yeah oh heaven forbid you not not even not even in the wildest stupor drunk would you consider doing those things and they're doing them and they're getting away with it yeah yeah and and that's just it's just a fact of reality that like you know whether for good or ill the longer we are exposed to something and sort of don't push back against it um or like don't reject it the more and more it will become seen as just a part of your everyday life and eventually it won't really seem transgressive at all. Yeah. Um, and again, like, that can be good sometimes. That can be bad sometimes. Like, it all depends on the context of, of what that thing is. And in Made in Abyss, like, there's a lot of stuff that 
was normalized that you could probably argue is pretty messed up that it was normalized. Um, but that's just simply how their reality is now. So sort of, again, like finishing off uh, the answer for Dayriff, like, yeah, absolutely, be disturbed. I think you're absolutely supposed to be disturbed. Um, I, th- I don't think the show sugarcoats its world at all. Uh, I think it is very well aware of how messed up the uh, it the world that it's crafting is, um, and sort of despite like the cutesy character designs, um, and almost almost thanks to the cutesy character designs, uh, it makes that uh, it makes the grimness and fatalism of the setting, you know, that much more discordant yeah um, and it's one of the things i love about the series actually so yeah um that's kind of my <laughs> response to that but yeah th- thank you very much dayriff uh for those comments uh, they were very good and i really appreciate that was a very good question uh and also like uh i haven't put out the episode where uh i ask for the uh, more anime-relevant political questions, but Dayrift kind of just happened to ask a very anime-relevant political question. So good job reading. Uh, good job being psychic, Dayrift. Hey, uh, when you get your crystal ball, Dayrift, back, uh, I need six numbers. You'll know what they're for. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that'll do it for this episode of BakaCast. Really? Uh, thank you for listening to my extremely long-winded self. Hey, but you know what? It it, it wasn't nonsense. <laughs> it really wasn't. Thankfully. It, yeah, no, it wasn't. It, it was. Uh, uh, it's uh, my eyes are a little bit further open than they were an hour and a half ago. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, you can always send your comments or questions um, either uh, on our blogs at www.audioentropy.com or projectharahi.net. Um, or you can send us an email at bakacast at projectharahi.net, though honestly that email address is so loaded with spam that... I cleaned it out. It should be okay. Yeah, true. Um, that poor email address. Well, it's... Um, it's taken so much abuse. <sighs> no, my the other two email addresses that are attached to that account have been, well, yes, we'll go there later. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, Ben... Dustin. Three, two, one. Kiribosh. Uh, we're still watching anime, folks, because terrestrial TV outside the baseball games that the Cardinals are winning. <laughs> Later. Bye-bye. <laughs>